HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. This week on Meet and 3, it's our season four finale, and we're sharing some of our greatest kitchen joys. Maybe most people consider making it too much work or too messy, but this is the food that's worth the work and worth the wait. You always know where the thing is because you put it away the right way the first time. You just sort of stand there in front, you know, with your hand on your hip and one leg outstretched, glass of wine in your hand, staring into the refrigerator going, okay, speak to me. Oh yeah, what are you doing with the celery tonight? I am making a simple syrup for a gin cocktail with the celery. And I also found a recipe for a celery soup that's going to use up the celery and the potatoes and some of that dill that we still have hanging out in there. (laughs) Tune in and be inspired to find the joy in your kitchen. And don't forget to subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. This is my 13th season here on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, Today, I think, is episode 156. Uh, So if you're just joining me, you have a lot of episodes to catch up on. It is the fall of 2019. This is my first show of our new fall season. Um, I want to make sure that I mention if you are not a member of Heritage Radio Network, you should go to heritageradionetwork.org and become a member today. And if you are a member, or even if you're not a member, you should definitely go and check out the listing for our 10th annual gala that's coming up, where it's our celebration of our 10th year. And we're having a really awesome gala, and it's going to be on Monday, November 11th at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Uh, It's a beautiful space incredible food incredible drinks incredible raffles and uh in the past there's been a uh, ring toss where you can win excellent bottles of wine so you should come so sign up today's theme there are so many ways to access farm fresh food there's got to be one for you in 1999 i moved to brooklyn and i really wanted to be a part of a csa i'd been a part of one in western massachusetts when i was in college and i really liked the way that it made me think about what i was eating and that i had a relationship to the farm and that it was like a mystery every week i would just get a box of stuff and then i'd have to cook it so i did something that most people i think would think was kind of nuts once a week i met my friend marissa in park slope after work at the time i was living in williamsburg and we picked up a csa share that we split 
That was in the community garden on 4th Avenue and Union Street, which was the only CSA or the closest CSA I could find to my apartment, and I schlepped it all the way back to North Brooklyn, and it took me more than 90 minutes total, uh, sometimes two hours to do that. Uh, I know it seems kind of crazy, but now, luckily, there are CSAs and CSA models all over the place, and you should definitely check them out. Uh, Now, you've got a lot more access to farms, farmers, CSAs, farmers markets. I was just in Union Square this morning. I think back in 99, Union Square was like one day a week, maybe two. Um, Now, I think it's at least three, if not four. Uh, I sometimes think what it must have been like in the bad old days, right, before we had all this access. Sometimes I think people assume that the modern, for lack of a better term, food movement pays homage to an older way of doing things. But I don't think that's really the case when it comes to things like CSAs. There weren't farmers markets in the 19th century, and there certainly weren't CSAs. We've come a long way, and one of the things I'm most excited about in today's fresh food space is that there are companies innovating and figuring out new ways to bring these food to people so that it fits for them and becomes easier. You can't be everything to everybody, but if you can find your community, you can make it work. Local Roots is one of these companies. They streamline the CSA model and the ordering with the ability to customize what you want by choosing a weekly delivery for a season from a huge array of options. In a world where we seem to be able to customize everything, there's a real place for this in food sourcing. My guest today is Wen Jie Ying, who's the founder of Local Roots. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hello. I love your, uh, the theme of your show because I'm a person, <laughs> I live a life, and I like food. I, <laughs> I check off all those uh, important parts of your show. <laughs> So tell me about Local Roots. Local Roots is based on, I guess, what now might be considered the traditional CSA model, but it's not the same. Yeah, I think you did a good, a really good job summarizing what we do. So Local Roots um, was founded in 2011, and it's imagine if a CSA and a farmer's market and uh, a fun party uh, had sex and they had a child... That's local roots. So essentially, we are a customized farmer's market, um, which we bring to New Yorkers. Um, it's similar to a CSA because you pre-order ahead of time. You're subscribing to a season. You have this direct connection with your farmers. And every week, you, you can pick up your food at a neighborhood spot. And you see the same people. Um, it's really great for community building. We also have an option because we are in New York City. You can get your... Um, your local roots delivered right to your doorstep. And it's similar to a farmer's market in the sense that, um, you know, like in a farmer's market, there is a really vibrant energy, which people really love. And um, there's lots of variety. So you have like your veggies from different vendors. You have your cheese, your meat, eggs, you know, it's a one-stop shop. Right. And so I, I, want, I really want to bring into the CSA model is that at a local roots uh, pickup point, you can get, your organic veggies and your heritage breed uh, pork and your pasture-raised eggs. So um, we are a one-stop shop for New Yorkers, everything local, of the highest um, uh, values for sustainability. That's awesome. And we also get recipe cards, and we have a local roots rep greeting you every week, um, which is important to say that because we are always a friendly face in your week, which people really appreciate. Sure. We're there to give dish ideas. And unlike the traditional CSA model or like a co-op, um, it's not volunteer-based. So it just makes it a little, I think, um, a little more flexible for people that don't have the time commitment that sometimes CSAs and co-ops have. 
Sure. But it's also not the model of like old school food delivery where you call or, you know, in the old days call or, you know, now go online and order something like Fresh Direct and then you just wait for someone to show up at your door and like hand you the food and it might be a different person every week and all that kind of thing. Like you're really developing that community and you're using spaces in the community for those drop off points, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point. Um, we are really personalized and really friendly experience. So um, we our pickup points are at bars and cafes and even offices. So imagine, you know, on the way back from work, you get off of the subway and the bar that we partner with is right there. You grab a drink with a friend. You also get your groceries. So that way, grocery shopping doesn't feel like a chore. It's more like a really fun uh, weekly schedule. Uh, and it's even yeah. easier than waiting for someone to drop something off at your house, right? Because you, you don't know when that's going to be. It's usually in some kind of a window. And I personally, that's like one of my biggest pet peeves is when they're like, oh, yeah, we'll be there between noon and eight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who has time to sit around from noon to eight? And then they usually come like the next day and yeah. things are spoiled. Um, yeah, so we, um, all of our pickup points are like, we schedule things so that it's kind of like right off of like, you know, when you finish work. So it's usually 68 p.m. And um, yeah, we're really working with the best farmers who are really innovative in their field to get New Yorkers really, really fresh and flavorful and nutrient dense produce which is um, makes the job really, really fun and exciting. And I, I mean, I was perusing your site uh, in preparation for this episode, and I really was blown away by the vast variety of things that you guys uh, managed to pull together on there from fresh bread, from ore washers to bat and kill milk, which is like one of my, it's like my personal favorite, oh, nice. favorite milk. Yeah, they have good milk. Um, and then there was an option that I saw that I really would love to know more about and how it came about that was an option that was your zero waste mm-hmm. option. Yeah, it's a zero waste uh, subscription. So if you want food that would normally be discarded or composted on a farm you can get these weekly deliveries it ranges from veggies that are funny shaped to maybe when a farm has like a bumper crop and they just have too much of one item and they can't sell it um there's so many different reasons that food goes to waste um in this country i think a lot of people just assume it's just these funny looking veggies but um, there's lots of different reasons. So that's a really great option. It's, uh, you know, like low cost uh, membership or subscription for the customer. And it definitely is great for the farmer because they're putting all their resources, these, the, you know, the land, the water, the, the human labor to grow these veggies. And we want to make sure that they are being brought to eaters. And right. so this is a great way to do that. Yeah. And I love on there you suggest that that's a great one for someone who does, for instance, like does a lot of juicing. Mm-hmm. at home because it doesn't matter if the carrot is ugly right right exactly <laughs> you're putting it through your juicer it's gonna look the same in the glass yeah no yeah what. and i also just i mean i just like to eat just any kind of funny looking veggie even if it's not juicing because it just makes experience kind of fun also yeah absolutely and we also always offer like you know we give recipe ideas we have like recipe cards at the market at the pickup points um but our newsletter also has a really good array of recipes and also like tips on zero waste cooking because a large percentage of the food that goes to waste actually is from the consumer end, right. meaning like a restaurant kitchen or a home kitchen. So it's really important to actually know how to store your produce properly and to think about things like how do you cook the beet tops or the carrot tops or 
Don't peel the skins of sweet potatoes. These are all things that we can all do as New Yorkers to really help um, the waste that we create in an urban environment. Yeah, absolutely. So you grew up in Long Island. Mm, yeah. Was <laughs> <That's> embarrassing. <laughs> I'm so much cooler than that. I'm more than my my hometown. <laughs> Everybody grew Don't up somewhere. Don't define me by my suburban lifestyle. Well, what I what I was gonna lead into was uh, asking, like, what was your relationship to foods and farms growing up? You know, it's funny. I've actually never been to a farm on Long Island. It's <laughs> so strange. Um, I mean, a lot of them have disappeared in the last couple decades. That's my reason for it. Um, it's actually more that I just don't like going back to Long Island. Right, but. Um, so I never grew up apple picking or going to farms or thinking about this kind of stuff. Um, I would say when I was a kid, my main connection to food was just, I obviously liked to eat it. I was a big like Wonder Bread and waffle um, kid. And, but I think the most beautiful thing about my childhood with food was just, um, you know, my parents are from China. So just eating their home-cooked meals and kind of like their versions of quote-unquote like American food. It's really funny to go to any kind of immigrant household and eat what these people think is American food, you know? So I didn't even know until I was an adult that pasta wasn't pasta with canned corn. Like, I don't know why that got added to the pasta dish, but like (laughs) I loved eating that as a kid. Um, But yeah, like my parents cook a lot of dishes that you'll never find on menus. Um, my mom learned a lot of dishes from her mother who grew up in a really small town in China and those dishes are only made in that small region. Right. So it's really beautiful to have this experience. And, um, you know, as Chinese parents, like my parents really don't open up about their past. Um, but the best, the only times I can really get them to talk about their childhood is if I ask them questions about like, what was your favorite food to eat? And my dad will talk about, you know, like walking home from school. It always is has some kind of like subtext of like, I didn't have any shoes also. And I walked 10 miles to go home. But then it was always, you know, like, uh, so my dad grew up in Taiwan and because um, they had a whatever, they had to leave China to go to Taiwan. And um, a big street food in Taiwan are just like these roasted sweet potatoes. Mm. They're these massive sweet potatoes. They're so good. And so every day, like, his little snack would just be to, like, go home, like, walk and then get a street food from these vendors. And I love eating sweet potatoes, too. It's just, like, a really great connection to understand my parents, like, a little bit of their childhood in a different country. And I I find sweet potatoes, it's funny, sweet potatoes, for whatever reason, seem to come up a lot on Feast Rears. Mm -hmm. When I interviewed Julia Tertian, uh, we talked about sweet potatoes also as being like one of her favorite foods and that they're so nutrient dense and they're so delicious and they're not hard to cook. Mm -hmm. So I actually am very excited that we're getting into fall because it's like sweet potato season. Yeah. I mean, if, if I can have a bonding experience with Julia, then that's great. I want to DM her on Instagram (laughs) later. I like that girl. I hung out with her two weeks ago. She's fun. Um, Yeah, sweet potatoes, especially like, you know, you don't, don't, don't peel those sweet potatoes because there's different nutrients in the the skin of the sweet potatoes. Right. So, FYI. So, tell me about what was the genesis of Local Roots? Uh, The Flaming Lips somehow are involved, right? Mm, The Flaming Lips are somehow involved in many of my life stories, (laughs) which is really strange. Wayne, if you're out there, just know 
you're kind of like my my guru of life. It's strange. Um, does he live in New York? You could send him. You could sign him up for a. He does, and I think he he lives somewhere in the Midwest. All right. Um. So I never really ate vegetables growing up, or even in college. I would my mom would make bok choy, and like when I was a kid, I would eat it, hide it, <laughs> go to the bathroom, put it in paper towel. And then throw it out because my mom would always check to see if I ate it. Um, and then in college, you know, like my the I would cook really basic things like a stir fry, you know, or a pasta. So I never actually had a connection to food. I didn't go to NYU food studies or anything like that. Um, so I was really into music. I played a bunch of instruments growing up. I was in a bunch of bands uh, when I first moved to New York. I really loved the Flaming Lips, and during their shows. Um, Wayne, the main singer, will always pick people from the audience to dance on the stage with them. So one time I was in Philadelphia and I told my friend, I was like, this is going to fucking happen. I'm going to get <laughs> us to be dancers for the Flaming Lips during this show. So I just kind of watched where all like the bandmates were going in and out on the stage. And I asked people, like, how do I get on stage? And I kind of just stood by whatever, this, this main entrance. I had a sign I made. Um, they picked us. So when they when you're a dancer, you, I was wearing like a I think like a, a Power Ranger, a pink Power Ranger outfit, and I'm standing on stage. Imagine just like in this outfit, Wayne is next to me. There's a massive confetti machine behind me, just blowing around my head. It's the most incredible moment. And then afterwards, you get to go backstage and hang out with the band. So I'm talking to Wayne in this ridiculous outfit. And he's asking me, I think I was like in my early 20s, like, like, what do you want to do with your life? And at that point, all I knew was that I wanted to do something that gave back to the community. Um, Hurricane Katrina had just happened. And so I was like, you know, I might want to move to New Orleans to help with hurricane relief. Um, And, you know, his response was life changing to me was, of course, that's always great to help uh, with natural disasters. But a lot of people forget that their direct communities need help also. Hmm. So what if you think about what your neighbors actually need? What do other New Yorkers need? And you can have a larger impact if you focus on that kind of local, um, the local community. So I actually ended up staying. Um, I did like a one week of, you know, helping with Habitat, Habitat for Humanity in New Orleans. I ended up staying in New York. And an ex-boyfriend of mine actually sent me an article about how there's a decline of supermarkets in New York City. This is at the, you know, it's, it's a little different now, but there weren't really many supermarkets in the city. And how people in New York are shopping at bodegas or corner stores, convenience stores to get their produce. Sure. And then, you know, it creates all these, like, health issues because the food in those places usually aren't very nutritional. So they go back to these bodegas and get medicine for it. And I just as a New Yorker, I really care about the city and my neighbors. The fact that we this is a city with so much that there wasn't a way to access the kinds of food that people wanted Hmm. was kind of mind blowing to me. That same ex-boyfriend was like, hey, you should do AmeriCorps. Um, Here's this food justice nonprofit. It's really cool. These bunch of girls who are laid back. They walk around with their shoes off in the office. I was like, perfect. That sounds like the place for me. So I did AmeriCorps at uh, Just Food, and I learned about CSAs, and I absolutely fell in love with the ways that it built community, and it supported like the underdog, which is a small local farm. And I, I, I it's just it's such a um, perfect embodiment of my personality of being 
close to the people and also being close to my city and uh, having this connection to nature. Um, yeah, I really love I really love the way the CSAs um, like the spirit of them. That's how it, it kind of started. Awesome. Well, thanks, Wayne, for, uh, for yeah. the inspiration. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. And when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the some of the farms that you work with um, and some what local means to local roots. This episode is brought to you by Chaipani Restaurant Group. From Bombay to Buncombe and Asheville to Atlanta, Chaipani has extended the love of food, culinary experience, and storytelling to the Southeast. Founded by Meherwani and Mali Irani, Chaipani Restaurant Group includes two locations of Chaipani, plus MG Road Bar and Lounge, Botiwala, Buxton Hall Barbecue, and their new spice company, Spicewala. Learn more about Chaipani and watch their documentary series, Cutting Chai, at chaipaniRestaurantGroup.com. That's C-H-A-I-P-A-N-I RestaurantGroup.com. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and joining me in the studio today is Wenjie Ying, the founder of Local Roots NYC, uh, which, if you're just tuning in, is a CSA slash online farmer's market model um, where you sign up for a season and you can order awesome stuff. So you should definitely go to localrootsnyc.com and check out, find out where your closest meeting point is and, uh, and take a look at it. So, Wenjie, before the break, uh, we were talking about all kinds of things, about how uh, the Flaming Lips helped found local roots. Um, and so the name, I want to talk a little bit about local. Um, I feel like it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, um, not just in food anymore, and all kinds of things. And um, I'm curious to understand, like, what are your sourcing guidelines? What does local mean to local roots? That's a really great question, especially because the words local and organic are so commonplace that they almost have no meaning anymore. Um, And I do really, I support people questioning that word when they see it. You should definitely ask questions when you see that word. Um, But local to us is two hours or less from New York City. So we work with farms in upstate New York, Pennsylvania, and as close to us as Brooklyn. So, um, our, like Brooklyn Grange, we work with, yep. they, there are, their farm is literally across the street from our, our office. So, you know, most food travels like 1500 miles on average. Um, when it comes from Brooklyn Grange to local roots, it's traveling half a mile. It's awesome. Um, yeah. Sometimes it gets harvested that morning and brought to us. So, um, they just opened a new farm in Sunset, Sunset Park. Park, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so hyper-local, um, that's what we're all about. And the reason why local is important, I think, you know, people will understand that it reduces your carbon footprint, which is great, um, and that it tastes better. But it's it's tasting better because when food travels for less time and the environment can be <clears throat> maintained in that short amount of time, meaning, like, there's less hands it's going through, it's really holding on to um, the necessary compounds that which make food flavorful, 
Um, so it's there is there is like scientific research about how food that's local is more flavorful and actually is more nutrient dense. Um, again, like when food is traveling, it's losing its nutrients. You know, if you think right. about vegetables as a plant, if you take a plant out of its soil in your apartment and then you, you know, you bring it on a road trip with you to California, <laughs> that shit's going to kind of be dead. Totally. <laughs> so yes, local. I heard a story recently. Uh, someone told me a story about growing up on a farm and they grew corn they grew sweet corn to eat for themselves and how his mom would like boil the water on the stove and then send him out to get the corn and if it took him more than five minutes between picking the corn and getting it into the kitchen he would like get in trouble because they like didn't want to eat it like the the longer it was off the stock it was not going to be as good that's amazing you know there's um have you seen that uh, it's a show they make fun of, like um, other shows or movies. It's that guy. What's the guy's name from SNL? Who's also in um, Portlandia? Oh, uh, Fred Armisen. Yeah, so he's he's part of this this um, TV series. Anyway, they make fun of some kind of like chef's table kind of TV show, and they're it's kind of a similar thing where like you have to catch the chicken in under ten minutes. Otherwise, we will never serve this food. Right. And so he's training every day to try to catch his chicken under 10 minutes. Um, but yes, yeah, side note, there's like one one corn plant outside of right. Roberta's. Yeah we, we saw. Just, yeah, we saw it out on the street. It looks like someone may either. I mean, I don't I don't know enough about corn to know. Maybe it wasn't a female plant. Maybe. I mean, I, just, I don't know how they worked. Maybe there were no ears. Maybe someone ate them. But it looks like there's one corn stalk uh, on Moore Street. Outside. And if you know what happened to that corn, we're all ears. <laughs> you know what I mean? So just DM us on the gram to tell us what happened. It, it, seem, it seems to me there's a lot. We were also talking earlier before the show about like random vegetables popping up, right? There's the tomato plants mm-hmm. on the pilings uh, in Dumbo. Now the apparently there's kayak. two. Yeah, I heard there were two of them now. Um, it, it, I mean, it makes me think of San Francisco. When you walk around in San Francisco, I feel like they're because of the climate and the way that the way that it is out there. Like I walk along, I'm like, oh, there's fennel growing in that tree pit, and so there's crazy. figs hanging over that fence. And I mean, I just feel like there's a huge opportunity for like urban foraging, and there is in New York too, to a certain extent. I mean, like I know where the mulberry trees are, and I go and pick the mulberries when they're ripe in the spring, and I know where there's some fig trees that hang over onto the street. There's and, fig trees here. Yeah. Well, off you gotta hang out in the, in the Italian neighborhoods. I like okay. There's you know purse lane. Yeah, you can harvest that lane. as long as lambs you, quarter. Yeah, all those things as long as like you know no dog is peed on it. Yeah, that's the problem. Right, that's the, the tree the hard, pits are yeah. pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, do you have any products that you either have tried and didn't really work in the model, or things that you like are looking for that you want to be able to provide customers? Oh, that's a, such a good question. Um, you know, we did a fermentation subscription and we also did something like you know we've been on like a gluten-free subscription um they just weren't as popular it 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 could be a combination of like we have so many products that's hard to really promote all of them equally i think also like people still for some reason have this idea that because we are somewhat of a csa that we only have vegetables and it still takes us so much energy to explain to people that we have everything right and you don't have to buy veggies to get the other items you can just subscribe um but i i i really loved the um the fermentation subscription we sell those things a la carte now Hmm. but you know i'm a big believer in those fermented foods yeah 
Absolutely. I mean, I guess the other challenge is that uh, most people probably know how they would use eggs on a regular basis, milk, you know, a lot of the, I guess, for lack of a better term, like normal vegetables, Mm -hmm. Um, but fermented foods, they might be like, oh, one week I get miso and the next week I get kimchi and the next week I get natto. Like, what do I do with all this stuff? Yeah. Although I was always, um, I really don't like natto. (laughs) Sorry. People do. (laughs) Uh, I love it. I know. I was actually going to, I actually just this morning was thinking I'm I'm due to make some because it's really expensive to buy mm. and it's not in fact that hard to make so i make oh interesting okay good for you but it still has that same texture the never yeah, yeah. can't <laughs> <laughs> um you had uh mentioned to me before the show i always ask what people are sort of cooking at home and you mentioned curry so tell me about your curry because i feel like curry is this incredibly vast wide name that we give to stuff everything from japanese curry to indian curry to you know the first what i called curry that i learned to cook in college was not like any other kind mm. of curry i just learned from a friend he's like oh, i'm making curry and i was like oh cool so in my brain like curry is attached to like essentially a vegetable stew with a lot of potatoes in it and a lot of cumin but it's not necessarily really curry i mean i i used a word curry pretty pretty, pretty relaxed also um I do not have a specific technique that is probably culture aligned to anything Hmm. except for whatever I want to eat. So I'm probably more like your college friend where (laughs) I'll make a homemade veggie broth from like veggie scraps I have. And then, um, I'll like saute veggies in a lot of, a lot of spices and let it sit for a long time. Um, we'll always like to do some like chicken in there or some other kind of protein. Um, do you saute the veggies sauce. with the spices? Like you make mm-hmm. sure the spices are in there. Well, I feel like that is a, I feel like that's a very important technique that I didn't learn early on. Like, I feel like people should know that you should put your spices in with the oil, not with the liquid. Yes. Because it, you, it gives so much more flavor. Yep. Um, and also I put like the Sichuan peppercorn in there for a nice little tangy kick uh, which is really great. Another thing I've been cooking a lot is um, I made up this uh, recipe one time because I had uh, kefir lime leaves, and which is what you probably see in like um, tom yum soup, like that big green right. leaf, you know. It has this really floral uh, scent to it. So I, I just picked it up at a Thai grocery store. I didn't really know how I would use it, but I love the smell of it. And so I made a dish based off of this, this herb. And so I'll saute like ground pork um, with some spices and then I'll add in um, fish sauce and some tamari and pineapple vinegar Mm. and these lime leaves um, and I'll add whatever like, you know, veggies I have that are in season. That's also like one of my favorite things to eat. It's tropical. It's still using seasonal ingredients. Um, Yeah. Sounds awesome. What's your favorite uh, or what vegetables uh, coming up this fall, like in the fall, are you looking forward to? Oh, well, look, my bracelet. Can you see it? (laughs) Komatsuna? It's a, yeah, it's Komatsuna, which is a Japanese green. Um, I've never seen it anywhere in America except at Local Roots. And I was actually getting um, an art design on my nails one time. Uh, I was getting a Komatsuna leaf on my nails. (laughs) And um, this Japanese girl was like, oh, my God, komatsuna. She's like, I haven't seen this since I was in Japan. It's cooked frequently in more home-style cooking. Um, but I really, I love that. Um, it tastes like bok choy, but a little milder. 
it's juicy. You can eat it raw or you saute it. Awesome. It's my favorite green. That and I love kabocha squash. Oh, yeah. What farm does the kamatuna come from? Taproot Farm in Pennsylvania. So um, they've been really awesome because they were actually growing kamatsuna before um, our partnership. Um, but we have also encouraged them to grow new and interesting varieties of greens, which I'm really psyched about. Like this year they grew Callaloo, which is wow. a, a Jamaican green. Um, and we all, they also grew Gailan, which is and a couple other Chinese greens. So I'm really excited to be introducing new varieties to New Yorkers, not because, uh, not just because it's exciting. It's a new flavor, but to show people that eating local and seasonal is not restrictive yeah. Um, there's so many things that can grow in the Northeast as long as people want to buy them and eat them. Right. And also like, you know, different varieties of veggies is going to mean different kinds of nutrients in your body. Yeah. No, I think I, I, I love that, that it's not, you're not sticking to kind of just like broccoli and chard and cauliflower and potatoes. Um, there is such a huge variety. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I've always loved to shop in, uh, you know, other other markets to shop in Mexican grocery stores to shop in Asian grocery stores because there's a lot of stuff being grown in the Northeast for those markets mm. that if you shop in regular grocery stores or even go to the farmers markets you, you don't find. ever see it but it's being grown nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently discovered out I was out in Jersey and I discovered at an H Mart out there that there's a huge Korean farm in New Jersey that not only grows. Uh, they grow black soybeans and they're all organic. They grow all kinds of greens during the year. They also grow fruit. So they grow jujubes and they grow Asian what pears. What is this farm? I, I'm, now, of course, I brought it up and now I can't remember the name you of it. I have to look later. it up. I will, find it I will find it for you. Um, but they, you know, they also sell, uh, they sell fruit trees. So like oh. they sell uh, cuttings and they sell small fruit trees and stuff that's all Asian varietal stuff that grows in the northeast that's incredible i mean this this whole crop planning with our farmers was really important to me personally because you know like my parents don't shop from local farmers markets because they're always saying like well that's not the kind of food that we eat we don't know how to cook with this stuff Hmm. so like i've slowly gotten them to understand that you can use kale like you know sort of similar to other greens that you would have in chinese food but you know i really want the stuff we do to be accessible and and comfortable to anyone. Right. That organic food is not just like one type of person. That as long as you want to eat food that is all natural and tastes really good, that you can buy from local roots. And I want things to be more culturally sensitive because, you know, we're in New York City. Like we should be celebrating all the different cultures that we have here. So, yeah. Absolutely. So I want to uh, switch gears here uh, as we're sort of finishing up the episode. I want to hear more about uh, your time as a musician. Do you still play? Mm, I don't play. I wish I did. Maybe we'll start playing together. You're a violinist? I play the violin and the bass guitar, and I sang in a band. And I grew up playing the piano and the viola also. Awesome. Um, I played saxophone, but I have not played in many years. I know. We got to start a band up, man. Totally. We should do it. What? So tell me about what bands were you in. Mm. Well, you would have been great for this punk ska band I was in. Nice. <laughs> Lots I was in of a ska band in high school. Oh, of course. See, what was your what was the band name? Uh, I was I was very briefly in a band called The Conspiracy uh, in Northern California, and then we also I was in a couple of other bands, and the names are escaping me right now of the other ones that I was in back then. And then in uh, in New York City, I was in a band called Fear and Trembling that was a three piece of saxophone uh, vocalist and uh, guitar 
sort of looped and processed and stuff. Cool. And then I was also in a band called Mushroom Cloud that was more of a um, like free jazz noise improv kind of freak out kind of band that had varying numbers of members. Sometimes we were three saxophones, sometimes we were two saxophones and a trumpet. We had a bass guitarist, a drummer, uh, sometimes we were two drummers, um, and a, and also guitars processed their stuff. That's crazy. Do you ever play with Chris Kuzmi? Uh, I, I, I've never played with Chris, but I know Chris through food and heritage, beer and heritage yeah, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. I think he's a really sick, uh, musician. Yeah, he is. He's a great right? saxophone player. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I played, mm, the van was called Escalators. Uh, so I played the violin in that one. It was like a 17 person band. It was a big party band. It was a lot I love of fun. That, I, I love that ska bands have the thing of like always. the pun in the name. Always. Always. Oh my God. I, our friends were, we also just love puns. Um, they started a website called Food Liberties where it's like celebrities as pun, the food puns, oh. which is funny. <laughs> um, and then I played the bass and I sang in a band called The Honeydews, which is a three piece lo-fi girl band. And then I played in a bunch of other bands. Um, I was my mo- my main social scene in New York for a couple of years was like the underground music scene. So, yeah, yeah I have a when what years was that? Oh God! Uh, like, are we talking like Knitting Factory on Leonard Street? No, I'm, I'm thinking more like the Silent Barn, DBA, sure. yep. Monster Island time. Got like, it. yeah. I miss I miss those venues a lot. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I definitely... So we... I, I lived at 220 Grand Street at the corner of Grand and Driggs. And for years, we had shows in our apartment um, oh, all the time. Amazing. A lot of, you know, a lot of weird, like, uh, jazz stuff, noise stuff. Um, not so much into, like, punk and stuff because the space wasn't really big enough for, like, that raucous a crowd. Um, but it was super fun. And there was really a great, you know, the right bank, which was a bar, um, on Broadway and Kent, uh, used to do shows. Seth Mesterka was a musician who had a mm-hmm. loft and he used to do show. Like there was a whole scene that included the places you're talking about, uh, Monster Island and Silent Barn that I felt like was really strong. And you could go, I mean, you could see music in some random place, but not super far from Manhattan every night of the week. Yeah, I mean, I played a show almost every night of the week because I was in so many bands. And admittedly, like, I don't know if this is a bad thing to say, but I think if I did not live in New York at that time period, I don't know if I'd have such a loyal and loving relationship with New York City. Hmm. I just think that time period is so beautiful. Like, there was just this, this energy, and I'm sure people say this, you know, I'm sure older people say this about, like, back in the 80s, too, of New York City. I just think there's so much culture and so much more energy of like, you can just do it as long as you do it. Yeah. Um, which gave me the motivation to start my own business, you know? Right. Yeah. Local roots. But I don't know if I would feel like that now because everything feels a lot more controlled. But. Yeah. I mean, I do. I, I, I think about that a lot too. My wife and I have spoken at length about how founding the Brooklyn kitchen originally came out of both of us being part of DIY music mm. and DIY art scenes. Um, and that, you know, whether, whether that stuff is still going on, I don't know. And it, it, it may still be going on. I mean, I'm older now and I have kids and my life is different than it was then. Um, I think that the thing that I always love about New York is that it always, there, it feels like if you, if you want there to be a scene, there is probably a scene for you. That's right? true. Yeah. Like whatever, whatever it is that you're into. Like, I mean, I, I imagine, I mean, like there's a scene where you're like, there are a bunch of stockbrokers. That's not my scene, but like that scene must exist. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's, it's called happy hour. Yeah. Right. That's the scene. <laughs> but like happy whatever, man, like, it takes a, it, you know, it takes a village. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's <a good> <laughs> 
So uh, as we're wrapping up here, um, I just want to make sure everybody, you should check out localrootsnyc.com. You can follow along on Instagram at localrootsnyc. When does the fall season start? Last week. All right. But but you you still have time to get in, right? You guys can order all year round. And we have Thanksgiving options, which we're super excited about. Like, honestly, the best goddamn turkeys you will get. They're grown by, uh, raised by Carmelo, who is like this mid 90 year old Italian woman. Amazing. Um, Anyway, yeah, everything we do, we really focus on the quality. So we will never sacrifice quality or sustainability. I definitely suggest, even if this is not your kind of thing for Thanksgiving, it will make your life so much easier. Going food shopping in a grocery store, right? You're even the farmer's market right before Thanksgiving. I mean, I, by all means support the farmer's market too, but going, I, I love Thanksgiving as a holiday. And I also love grocery shopping, but shopping around Thanksgiving makes me crazy. No, this way you can pre-order it. We will literally just deliver it to your apartment. Yep. So like, and also, highlight, we have these amazing handmade pies. And my friend Sophia, who's a great chef, is making them. And she smokes the apples in her in her backyard wow. for the smoked apple um, apple pie. Oh, that sounds so yeah. good. Yeah, so hit that up. And also we do things like, if, if you work in an office... You know, if you're that nine to five happy hour scene, uh, we do corporate events like pickle parties we bring to your office. So nice. that's a really fun thing. Awesome. Any any other events that people should know about coming up with Local Roots? Um, there's a, a regenerative agriculture talk I'm doing tomorrow, but wow. it's pretty, that's pretty soon. So no, just keep following us on Instagram. That's right. fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Wendy, for Thank coming so into, much. The, into the studio. Should we just go jam now? Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to Feast Your Ears. Maybe we'll write some new uh, some new theme music. But my brother yeah. wrote that music, so. Oh, your brother's a talented man. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and buy tickets to our gala. It is on November 11th. It's going to be awesome. I'll be there. And please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you find it. Reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.